are up to uh, footnote number six, which is on page 121 on letter eight. And what we have been discussing is, Rav Hirsch mentioned the fact that the Torah is given in the wilderness. Okay, so let's continue that footnote discussing why the Torah was given in the wilderness. The Torah was not given in Egypt, some commentators declare, because it might have been felt in later generations that the Jews would have consented to anything in order to escape from the house of bondage, right? So it wouldn't have been such a, okay, great, they accepted the Torah. They said they're going to keep the Torah. <laughs> Big deal. You would accept anything to not be enslaved. So maybe that's the reason why we only have to accept the Torah once you've already been freed. And then it's clear that we're not just accepting this as a way of saying, let's get out of the fire and into the frying pan, so to speak. On the other hand, as Rabbi Shamshan Rafal Hirsch indicates, the Torah cannot be given in Eretz Yisrael because it had to be clear that the Jews would become a nation purely by virtue of the Torah. See the quote from Rabbi Sadia Gohan in letter seven, note two. This is where he says, that we are only a nation by dint of the fact that we have the Torah, without any of the appurtenances, such as a common territory, that usually are necessary for the emergence of a nation. At the same time, the giving of the Torah in the desert was intended to make it clear for all generations that the Torah does not depend on any material conditions. Right? This is a very important point. The Gemara tells us about different different uh, Tanayim, right? Different sages of the Mishnaic era that, you know, Hillel obligates poor people to learn Torah. Why? The Gemara tells us how poor he was. He wasn't even able to afford the entrance fee to learn Torah. And he used to go up to the skylight on top of the Beit Midrash and he would sit there and like put his head to the ceiling to listen to what they were saying in, inside. And one time it started snowing and he got so frozen, he was just lying there and he got frozen over and it got very dark inside the Beit Midrash. So they went up to see what was going on there. And they see that hell was frozen up there. And I said, why didn't you come down? You know, how could you stay up there in the snow? And he's like, I have to learn Torah. There's nothing else that I could do. So someone who is too poor to even afford entrance fee into the Beit Midrash, and yet he still learns Torah, that's someone who obligates poor people to learn Torah. And conversely, we talk about the Tanayim who were incredibly wealthy and had a tremendous amount of business dealings to, to be busy with. And yet still, they would spend their days learning Torah. They obligate the wealthy people to learn Torah. So no matter what circumstances we're in, we have to recognize that that cannot be an excuse not to spend time with the Torah. Just as the survival of the Jewish people does not depend on them. So what is the implication? The implication is that the Torah is given in a desert. Now in the desert, can, is it normal to have a people, a 600,000 minimum, between men, between the age of 20 and 60. Minimum, let's say, according to most calculations, at least 3 million people survive in a desert over a 40-year period of time. Deserts are not hospitable to living conditions, right? How is it possible for them to survive for such a long period of time in the desert? Only because Hashem is watching over them, right? And that's what we celebrate on the holiday of Sukkot, the fact of all the things that Hashem does to enable that we live in a time in the desert. But in truth, it's not really about the time in the desert that Hashem takes care of us. It's really all the time that Hashem takes care of us. The reason why the Torah is given in the desert is to hammer this point home. The same way it's possible for an entire nation to live without any material means of sustenance and to have a direct connection to Hashem. No individual should ever be able to say, I'm going to learn Torah when I have time. We know human nature. Human nature is we don't end up having time because when we have more money in our pocket, then we say we need more money. And we can always think of another excuse why it's not the right time to learn Torah. 
you guys are coming to learn at seven o'clock every night. You guys have seemed like you have gotten past all the excuses already. The Torah and the Jewish people are inseparable and unaffected by the vagaries of time. Not so the land and the prosperity that God's blessings bestow upon it. Referring to the fact that during periods of rest, it was permissible to remove the poles for carrying the other sacred vessels of the sanctuary, but not those of the holy ark. So this is in two weeks ago, Torah portion. Beautiful, beautiful idea. What we find is that the vessels in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, they are described actually before we get to this week's Torah portion when we talk about the um, we talk about the the um, the garments that the Kohanim wear that the priests wear in the Mishkan. But before that, we talk about the vessels and we talk about the actual Mishkan itself, the tabernacle itself in the desert. And we talk about the fact that this is a portable object. It, the, the entire tabernacle is portable, and so too the objects within it were meant to be portable because you have to transport it from place to place as they travel through the desert. And they all had these attachments, these poles. The purpose of these poles were to pick up the shulchan, to pick up the table, to pick up the menorah, to pick up the altar. You have to have these poles because otherwise it's just too difficult to pick up this bulky object. But you have the poles, you could lift it up and put it on people's shoulders. The law is that the, the menorah, I'm sorry, not the menorah, the, um, the, the, uh, the ark, right, which contains with it the Torah, that the poles can never be removed. And even after they settled in the land of Israel, and even after they build a Beit HaMikdash, a permanent dwelling place for the ark, those poles can never be removed, right? Now, why are those poles different than all the other poles? So Rav Hirsch explains, Israel's table and lamp its material life in its full completeness and its spiritual and intellectual life in complete clarity and brightness are bound to the soil of the Holy Land. And therefore you remove the, the portability of them, of these objects, right? That the objects, the table and the lamp, the table is the shulchan, right? The table upon which we keep the lechem hapanim, the showbread. It is symbolic of material life, right? And the spiritual and intellectual life which is the lamp, which is symbolic of the, a part of the Torah, at least, that are really only possible in the soil of the Holy Land. However, the ark, which contains within it the luchot, which is symbolic of the Torah itself, contains within it the tablets, that is not at all bound to the soil of the Holy Land, or it travels with the people into exile. And that's why, in a symbolic sense, it always remains portable because it always has the poles attached to it. Notwithstanding, that it's no longer actually, the ark itself doesn't move. The ark itself has been hidden by King Chizkiyo before the destruction of the first temple, right? It hasn't moved with us. The physical ark hasn't moved with us. But the idea being is that we have that potential and we have that connection to the Torah and we ourselves can remove the Torah from that ark, remove the Torah from the place where Hashem dwells, right? It's not up to the, it's not only where Hashem dwells that the Torah is found, it's wherever the Jewish people dwell that the Torah is found. Getting it in the wilderness, that's the greatest possible way to teach us this lesson for all eternity. Okay, let's continue. Let's go back now to, to the main letter. And we are up to page 115. And we're actually in the middle of the paragraph of page 115, the last paragraph, and it's about eight lines up, five lines from the end of the line. And we just got finished saying, that without a country and land of its own, it became a nation, a body whose soul was the Torah. Thereby it came to be a mamleches kohanim, a kingdom of priests, a nation serving as the guardian of God's word in the midst of humanity, 
as a priest serves amidst his people. That's our role. Our role is not just to worry about the Jewish people. Our role is also to worry about our relationship with the rest of the world, to reveal the beauty of the Torah to the rest of the world. At the same time, by fulfilling God's word, it was to become a goy kadosh, a holy nation, standing apart in holiness, never entering into the activities and aspirations of the other nations, but demonstrating human sanctity by its own way of life. This does not mean to say that we don't engage in the same activities, and we, we do engage in the same activities often, right? But we don't engage in other activities just because the other nations of the world do them, right? We have a Torah to guide us in our, in our ways and to guide us in what activities we consider to be important and what things we don't consider to be important. And in terms of aspirations, when you have a Torah that's telling you, you have aspirations to, re, re, to create a close relationship with God. Through following the word of the Torah, that's a very different aspiration than are we going to get enough uh, medals in this year Olympics? You know, I don't think people care about the Olympics anymore. I think that that illusion has gone away. But it, whatever it might be, but whatever the aspirations of a national level of aspirations to have the, I don't know, the greatest nuclear weapons, you know, depending on what country you have, you know, the best uh, response to the virus, let's fudge the numbers so people will think that we didn't have anybody die. These are not the aspirations of the Jewish nation. Aspirations of the Jewish nation are to follow the Torah and to build that relationship with God and to live up to our reputation as being Mamleches Kohanim, the nation of priests, the nation that's teaching the world what the correct way to live is. And hopefully we do live up to that reputation. Occasionally we don't, but hopefully in the long run, we will end up living up to that reputation and bringing this, this relationship with God to the rest of the world as well. Okay, take care everyone. Be well, good night.